Okay, this morning we're going to uh, be talking more about uh, baptism and, and membership. Uh, Jared, come on up. Uh, Jared Yoakum is uh, part of our church. He's been working with youth and uh, been exploring calling and, and gifting and uh, potential ministry uh, in, in the church, pastoral maybe, uh, in, and working some of those things through. And so I've been, I've been working with him a little bit here and just kind of, one of the things is he can speak at youth and, and he has opportunities there, but, but then there's also the opportunities just to speak here. And I think this message, is, and he'll draw it out why I think this is a very fitting message for, for him to be preaching, um, is, is, it suits him. And uh, so he's going to be giving us uh, this, this morning's message. Cool. Thanks, okay. Kevin. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Nice. Yeah. As Kevin said, my name is Jared. I'm a volunteer senior high youth leader here at Forest Grove Community Church. I also uh, like to play bass on Sundays, and I kind of aggressively bob my head to the beat of the drum, if some of you have noticed that. Um, so if you're not familiar with me from the youth context, you might know me from there. Um, one of the reasons why I love Forest Grove Community Church, uh, I've been attending here for four years, and I've been a member for about a year and a half, is uh, you know, it's a church that lets people get involved and participate in the good things that are happening. And even as I've been discerning uh, the use of these gifts, I've had some of the pastoral team come alongside me and help me nurture that, and I've been really encouraged by that. So uh, this morning, we're going to jump right into our text. It's going to be taken from Mark chapter 1, and we're going to be reading from verses 4 to 13. So if you have your Bible with, with you today, I'd encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 1. If not, the cell phone is great. If not that, the words are going to be up on the screen as well. So I'll give you guys a second to turn there, and then we'll jump right in. Starting in verse 4, Mark writes, And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. And then at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was tempted, or he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. So if you're here this morning, and you're not familiar with the Bible, our text today is taken from a book called Mark, who was written by a gentleman named Mark. And Mark was a guy who uh, followed Jesus during the early ministry years of his life, and he's writing this book or this letter to a group of people that are also trying to follow Jesus and grasp the gravity of how the message of Jesus changes their lives. Now, that's in contrast with Matthew, who, or not in contrast, rather, but uh, Matthew writes uh, genealogies. That's how he opens up his book. He opens up his book with a history of the lineage from this Old Testament character named David all the way to Jesus. Another guy named Luke opens up his book by telling the birth story of Jesus in great detail. And that's what we read a lot of times around Christmas and such. And the fourth guy to write about Jesus was a guy named John. And he opens up his story by talking with this lofty language about how the Word became flesh and God became Jesus and that's how we see God. But in contrast to all of that, Mark chooses to write his letter quickly. 
he jumps right into the narrative. In verse 4, we're hearing about what is happening. Even in verse 1, he says that this is the story. This is the good news of Jesus. Um, So it's a little bit different. We get the sense that Mark's writing with an urgency, which is kind of cool. And uh, yeah, you might be thinking this morning, if you're you're familiar with the Bible, why are we using Mark to teach baptism? Uh, Wouldn't it be more appropriate to read something from, say, Paul, who was an early church leader and kind of instrumental in a lot of the practices we see today? And yeah, that's, that's, that's very valid. We could definitely read something from Paul, and he would have a lot of good things to say. But the purpose in me choosing Mark this morning is I hope to draw your attention to a character named John the Baptist. And so we'll jump right in. We see that author John Mark wastes no time jumping right into the narrative of the early years of Jesus' ministry. Almost immediately, we see John the Baptist enter the scene. John was cousin of Jesus and son of a high priest named Zechariah. We are informed very early on in the text that John wore clothes of camel's hair and he ate locusts and wild honey. And by reading this, I can only assume that maybe John has rejected the family business of serving in the temple for the sake of living a life of separation and resolve and preparing the way for the Messiah. So given this context, you can understand the utter absurdity that people must have felt when this disheveled and eclectic wild man emerged from the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance of sins. He said that there would be a greater one who came after him. He was, of course, prophesying for the Messiah, this man that John said he would be unworthy to bow down and untie his sandals. Now, if you're wondering what a modern-day equivalent of this John the Baptist character may look like, well, just imagine uh, a man, a young adult man, wearing, you know, torn-up vans and red corduroy pants that are cuffed really high and big white t-shirts and very loud 90s floral print buttons, but he only buttons up the top two. And just imagine this man is speaking at your local Mennonite Brethren church. How, how absurd would that be, right? Um, so yeah, why this detail about John's attire and his diet? Why does Mark include this? And moreover, why is John the Baptist the first character that we see on the scene in introducing Jesus? Verse 4 tells us that John appeared in the wilderness and he was preaching a baptism for the repentance or for the forgiveness of sins is what it says. It's important to note that at this time, baptism was not a new idea. It was not a new practice. Um, But how it was being practiced by John the Baptist was, his method of operation was drastically different. Because baptism traditionally would have been practiced within the four walls of the church or the temple, sorry where people who were seen as unclean would take multiple special baths and hope that they can make this transition from unclean to clean in the sight of God. It was a way of preserving religious identity and piety amongst those who felt that their holiness was dependent on actions within the temple, but not necessarily their actions outside of the temple towards what multiple gospel authors would later categorize as the tax collectors and sinners or the societal outcasts of the day. And the idea that the path for the Messiah was paved by this eclectic wild man who lived off the land and dunked people in the Jordan River as opposed to the safety and privacy of the temple would have been radical. Verse 5 tells us that John wore clothing made of camel's hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. But yet again, I'll draw your attention to these details because I believe that the pressure that would have been put on John to follow in his father's footsteps as a high priest in the temple would have been immense. He would have been in the social class equivalent of the upper middle class members of society. But instead of choosing this lifestyle, he chose to reject it and all the family pressures that would have come with it. Now, God's selection in using John to prepare the way for Jesus or the Messiah 
is radical. See, here's a man who has rejected the temple lifestyle and all of the religious prestige and societal gravity that comes with it and has chosen to unceremoniously baptize people not for the sake of saving face in front of God, but so that they may acknowledge that an inward change of the heart needs to transpire more than an outward cleansing of the body. John's role in the gospel message of Jesus made people uncomfortable. What category does this man fall into? He's rejected the traditional way of temple life and has chosen to scandalously baptize people in the river, in the public river, miles from the synagogue. So I'd like to propose to you that Jesus is perhaps trying to teach us something about appearance and about heart posture. If nothing else, God's inclusion of John in the gospel story reminds us that God uses very, very weird people to help his story unfold. I think of Jesus' comments towards the Pharisees when the disciples are caught eating bread with unwashed hands. Now, this story is told in Mark chapter 7, where Mark explains that the Pharisees had their proper way of cleansing hands before eating as well. But Jesus shows them that while they may be physically clean on the outside, defilement comes from within, he says. He says that it comes from their hearts. Through his storytelling, Mark is saying that John the Baptist, societal outcast, has been chosen by God to prepare the way for Jesus to usher in a new kingdom. A kingdom that even those who dress funny and eat weird things and dress weird and don't wash their hands properly are invited into. He is showing us that multiple religious baths are not necessary to put you in right standing with God, but an inward change of the heart and submission into the kingdom of Jesus is. And that inward change is outwardly showcased most often by public physical baptism of immersion in water. Not only is John included in the kingdom of heaven, but he is instrumentally used by Jesus through the process of water baptism. Yet again, God uses weird people. Case in point. Critical to John's message was that he would baptize his disciples with water, but that the coming Messiah would baptize in the Holy Spirit. And this terminology must have felt foreign to John's disciples, for even Jesus' first disciples did not fully grasp the mysticism of this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now this morning, you're going to be hit with multiple analogies and how to categorize and deconstruct the mysticism of baptism, what it actually means to be dunked underwater and resurrected again. Um, So I will present my own analogy to you, and you can take it or leave it. Um, I should have said this before in my introduction, but I'm a hairdresser by trade. That's what I get to do for a living. And uh, I, uh, I believe that baptism is a sign, and I like to say that baptism is like a good haircut. Uh, It's an outward expression of an inward change that someone is feeling. Now, while this metaphor may seem cheap compared to such a holy practice, please, allow me to explain. You see, one of my favorite questions to ask people when they're doing a drastic change to their physical appearance, i.e. cutting all their hair off or coloring it really dark or bleaching it really light or a wild color, my favorite thing to ask is, what is prompting this change? And be blown away at some of the reasons people give me. I uh, I think of a conversation I had with a student in hair school a few months ago where we were talking about this outward expression of inward change, and she says, you know, that's funny, because I came home last weekend from from hair school. She lives in a small town. She says, I came home last weekend, and my dad instantly knew I broke up with my boyfriend because I cut all my hair off and colored it really dark, and that's how he knows, because I do that every time. And while that's kind of funny, there's also very, very serious and beautiful things that I get to celebrate with people as they enter into new stages of life. Things like uh, people giving birth to newborn life. 
uh, high school and university graduates celebrating the exciting stage that they're entering into in the next stage of life. There's even instances where local musical artists have come to me and had me bleach their hair and then color it blue for upcoming shows because of their album release parties. And honestly, the list could go on. I've been so, so privileged to walk alongside people as uh, they've experienced inward change and how that has showcased itself through outward change. So this morning, we get to hear from multiple baptism and membership candidates the beautiful and meaningful reasons why they have chosen this act of baptism or this act of publicly proclaiming membership as their testament to faith in Jesus. And I would encourage you to listen well to their stories and as we greet them in the foyer after the service to welcome them with open arms. At this point, I'd like to address the question, why is baptism and membership partnered? And Kevin will touch on that more when he comes back up. But as I was doing a reading for this, I came across the idea that it's important for us to remember that the early church uh, was a first-generation movement. And that everyone who uh, was entering the church was a first-generation believer. So for this reason, conversion and baptism were essentially one event. The faith decision, receiving of the Holy Spirit, and incorporation into the church, or baptism, occurred in very, very close relation to each other. You see, one's baptism was frequently partnered with one's membership to a faith community. This is how it was practiced in the early church. And even looking at our text today, Mark makes it obvious that this immersion in water was something that signified the inception of a faith journey. Jesus' ministry essentially began immediately after his water baptism. You read Mark's gospel, you notice a lot of this immediately, and then this happened, and then this happened. He's very quick to describe it all. And even verse 12 it says that at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and the angels attended him. You see, Jesus entered into a season of his faith walk where he was not only tempted by Satan, but where he was caught up in a tension between angels and animals. And I highlight the significance of this wording to showcase that faith does not immediately get easier once water baptism has transpired, or public membership for that matter. And in today's day and age, water baptism doesn't always happen at the beginning of a faith journey, as as multiple stories this morning will reveal. We hope as a community that the decision to be baptized has come from an inward change that the Holy Spirit is leading his people into. We hope to focus on the internal repentance and forgiveness of sins that John highlighted through his uncommon involvement in the scandalous story of Jesus' love and God's endless pursuit of his people. So this morning, if you have not been baptized, you are by no means on the outside of this community. I can think of countless people in this church alone who dedicate uh, their time and their efforts and their money to this organization, and they may not be members, and that's, that's okay because they're still involved in this community. We want to acknowledge that the invitation to be involved looks different for everybody. And baptism or public membership, public declaration of membership, can just be one of those many facets. So as we finish up, and as Kevin gets ready to come up, I would like to leave you guys with a few questions. We acknowledge that there's probably a couple different categories of people here, but I'm going to throw you guys into two categories for one sec. Um, people who haven't been baptized and people who have. Not so that there's this dichotomy that we may be divided, but so that we may think on the teaching and on the analogies and even on people's stories this morning. Um, Brian's going to throw up a slide of a couple questions that we're going to leave you with, and we're actually going to leave some time for silence to just think on these things as we've received this, this teaching this morning. Um, so first of all, if you, are, if you are one who has been baptized, we encourage you to reflect upon your baptism today and often. And why was your baptism important to you back when you made that decision? But also, how can it be important to you now? 
Have you considered how your baptism can serve as a public invitation into the kingdom of heaven? Is that a thought that's crossed your mind? And what does that invitation look like? Or what reservations uh, may you have about this thought, the idea that baptism is an invitation to the kingdom of heaven? Maybe that hasn't been presented to you before. Or if you're in the camp of people who have not been baptized, again, that's okay. But we want to ask the questions, what is holding you back? Is there a reason why you haven't made that decision yet? What reservations, fears, or concerns might you have? And are you comfortable enough to seek out a conversation with trusted confidants or people in your life that you may look up to who are willing to facilitate that conversation with you? We're a community that desires to disciple each other, and one of the best ways we can do that is through conversation. And then the final question for if you have not is, how can your faith community best support you during this discernment process? Um, We're going to leave that slide up, and Kevin's going to get ready to come up. And like I said, please take some time to reflect on this. Um, Even if there were things you heard this morning that maybe you didn't like or don't know what to do with, that's okay. I would love to see beneficial conversation about baptism and membership and the involvement in the kingdom of heaven come from this. That'd be a really cool thing, and I think that Jesus would desire that as well. So thank you. Sometimes we just, uh, we get moving too fast in, in when, we're, when we're preaching and there's one thing and then another and then another and then all of a sudden you're done, you go home and you didn't even have a chance to think about things that happened three points ago. And I think it's good just to slow down, ask some good questions, take some time to reflect. As Jared said, uh, baptism's been an important part of uh, the Christian faith for 2,000 years. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, our, he mentioned it as well. Our tradition links baptism with a, a formal membership process. Um, so when someone is baptized in our church, they become a member of our church. When someone's been baptized in another church as a believer, they can also become a member. Membership is a public commitment to the health and vitality of Forest Grove. So when you are baptized... You become part of the billions of Christians on earth and throughout time who make up the body of Christ. That's the church. Baptism is the entry point into the church. Membership is a public commitment to a local church. It's a way to feel connected to a smaller part of the larger church. It's a way to feel connected to 565 members. I'm just adding in my head. We had three this morning and four now. Make sure everyone gets included. 565 people to intentionally commit to discipling one another. Baptism and membership are together, but they are not equal in, in importance. Baptism is a command of Jesus. Baptism is a key to following Jesus. It's a lifelong commitment to Jesus. Membership is implied through Scripture, as Jared pointed out. It's helpful in discipleship, but it's only for a phase. It's a phase commitment. People move away. They go and join and become members at another church or another one that they, they choose to go uh, attend and participate in instead of this one. For as long as you want to commit uh, to the, the local church, you can be a member. 
then you can move away or, or whatever. We see membership as a way to strengthen our discipleship. It's, it's how we follow Jesus. Membership is not needed to be a follower of Jesus, but we believe that it helps because discipleship happens within the church community. So, membership is a public commitment to the health and vitality of Forest Grove Community Church, holding one another accountable to continual transformation in Jesus Christ. Our whole vision, our mission statement, our purpose statement as a church is that we are people that are transformed by Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. It's a way to identify believers who are bonded with the mission, vision, and values of the local body and are willing to be counted on to build and sustain the ministry of the church. So in short, membership says, I'm in. And I want others to know that I'm committed. I want to continually be transformed by Jesus. I can be counted on to move this church forward in the way that it's already going. I'm going to live out the, the uh, values of faith, independence, relationship, relevance, our stated values. I'm going to participate in the life of one of the congregations, support the direction, give of my time, talents, resources, and I'm going to help others to do the same. Uh, membership doesn't get you any discounts on renting the facility. We can't legally do that. You don't end up getting a better parking space. You don't get a reduced rate on your tithe. Uh, you don't get an extra special funeral with fancy cheese when you die. Instead, you get to serve more. You get to give more. You get to sacrifice more. And you've publicly committed to raise the bar to sacrifice for, uh, for others. So why do it? I think it's worth doing because... That is the way of Jesus. Sacrificing for others. It's a sign of growing and maturity of faith. Membership like baptism, you, you make a public statement that you want to follow him. and You do it with this body. The health and vitality of Forest Grove uh, is not about the facility or the programs. That's part of it. But that's secondary. Being a member is a commitment to grow spiritually to help others grow. The building, the programs are important, but they are secondary. Uh, for Forest Grove, we could be healthy without a building. We could be healthy without programs. Forest Grove is made up of the people. That is the church. The church is the people. Allowing Christ to transform them together. That's what membership is. It's committing to the people of the church to make sure that everyone here is healthy and growing in transformation in Jesus. Uh, a quick word about accountability. It's in there, um, holding one another accountable. We should be able to ask the question, how are, how are you being transformed in Jesus? That should be a really safe question, and that should be a question that we ask each other quite a bit. How are you being transformed in Jesus? The challenge is with accountability is that we can't force someone. We can't force someone uh, to be committed. Uh, by becoming a member, you're asking. You're asking to be held accountable. We can't force someone to grow in Christ. An individual is only able to ask for it. And then people can help them by openly talking with a person about it. 
So for example, if you're, if you're part of a men's group and you ask for accountability to learn to pray better, your men's group could say, are you learning to pray better? How are you doing with that? That's a way to hold one another accountable. You can't be forced to pray better. If you join a men's group, they're not just going to say, pray publicly now. That's going to help. That doesn't help if the person isn't asking to learn and grow in their faith in the area of prayer. So holding one another accountable is what happens as someone publicly declares, hey, I want you to help me grow. I want you to help me be transformed in Jesus. Then we can say to each other, are you being transformed in Jesus? We're holding one another accountable. That should be a common question around here. A few other uh, little things. I, I, membership's a weird topic to speak of in front of a large group because of all the different backgrounds uh, that, that uh, people represent here. So um, for those of you who never want to be members of a church because you've been hurt by church conflict or it sounds kind of weird or cultish or something like that, um, I'd ask you just to consider coming and learning more about it. I, I realize that, that people have all sorts of different uh, backgrounds with this one. Uh, come and talk to me. Come and talk to some of our staff. We go through... Um, sessions, I'll, I'll highlight them in a minute, um, before just writing it off. Uh, for those of you who are members, but haven't really ever thought about it since you became a member however many years ago, and the way that you thought you were a member isn't quite lining up with what I'm saying, uh, again, I would like you to consider to, uh, to come to some of our baptism and membership sessions. Come and learn about your membership more. Our next baptism and membership sessions are on, start on May 6th in a couple of weeks. We skip Mother's Day, we skip the long weekend in May, and then we do the 27th, uh, June 3rd, and 10th. There's four, four Sundays uh, in the afternoon. The first session is all about baptism. We take you right back to your baptism. For those of you who are becoming members, for those of you who are wanting to get baptized, this is the same process for you. Come and learn about baptism. Second session, learn about membership and church history and why those connect. Third, we're joined by sponsors, as Joel helped me clarify what sponsors are. It's good. We have other people who are members who have been members for a longer period of time that come and get to know you and welcome you into the life of the church. And it's a great way for me to hear a variety of different perspectives on the church. Fourth is just simply the details. The fourth session is simply the details. Multi-site, programs, staff. What are we all about as a church? Anyone's welcome to come. You don't have to follow through with membership. You can come and just learn. Uh, any, anyone is welcome. There's more info at the Welcome Center. There's more info at the back uh, uh, rack uh, there. And uh, there's more info online if you want to know about any of those things. Um, I realize there's probably a lot of questions, misunderstandings, and it, it, I would just appreciate emails or opportunities to talk to people uh, more. Uh, the other thing that I, I found as a barrier that I'll just point out is when people come up here, they pretty freely talk about deep things in their life. The first service was, was uh, mental health was highlighted and, and family struggles and those things. Um, that isn't expected. So if, if getting up in front of whatever, 200 people, is, is your expectation of what you have to do to become a member and, and talk about the deepest, darkest things of your life, that isn't something we ask for. Uh, a lot of times people just simply want to testify of God's transformation from those deep, dark things and they put it right out there. That's wonderful. Also, uh, we don't, I don't think that uh, it should ever be a barrier for someone to be baptized, to become a member, that they have to be able to speak well in public. The people that are doing it today have chosen to do that. We're going to be doing 
another uh, session of uh, baptism service in, at the end of May. Uh, someone wants to do it by video. They don't want to get up here. That's fine. Do it by video. Uh, a written up version that we can put online and people can read your testimonies online. That's fine as well. Um, it shouldn't be an expectation that you are comfortable to speak in front of a couple hundred people when that's one of our society's number one phobias. Baptism is far too important for that. And so, again, if you have questions about, well, could I do it this way? Come and talk to me. I would appreciate the opportunity.